taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on Animal Welfare Certified Bone-In Beef Short Ribs, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie and Ground Lamb. Grab an Olive Bull Bread from the Bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, everybody, welcome to Literary Disco and Lit Hub Radio, episode 198. Horse Girls. Today, we tackle the incredibly popular, enduring, and surprisingly diverse world of the Horse Girl. We've read a classic of the genre, Misty of Chincoteague by Marguerite Chincoteague. Chincoteague. By Marguerite Henry. <laughs> and then we have read a new collection of essays edited by Halima Marcus entitled Horse Girls, in which female writers go deep on horses and the horse girl phenomenon. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey! Hello! Nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Today's a big day for our listeners, although the listeners do not know. Today is the last podcast we will make with Ryder with long hair. Yeah. <laughs> I actually haven't decided how short to cut it. So maybe I'll oh. only just, you know. Yeah, maybe yeah. this is really anticlimactic. I mean, Indy wants me to go really short. He's like, cut, cut it all off. And he also wants me to shave my beard. Um, well, that can't happen. That's just No, a, that can't happen. That's just yeah. an issue of being a man. <laughs> Why does your little kid get a say? Well, he just he just is fascinated by the idea that I might have ever lived without a beard. So he wants <laughs> me to shave it because he just doesn't understand. Yeah, I mean, I haven't shaved a beard. I haven't shaved my beard. Yeah, for at least six years, maybe even longer. Really? Yeah. Um, my wife won't let me. She hates it. So actually, my wife is going to be doing a movie in New York for like three months. And so I told Andy that when she's gone, I would shave my beard at least once. Are you guys going to join her on set? Are you guys going to go back and visit her? Yeah, we're gonna probably do like three trips, um, but otherwise, you know, I'll be I'll be single parenting. He's in school, man. He started first grade yesterday. Oh my his god! His first time going to school. It's oh my happening. God. I know, it's so exciting. Uh, he's still got to wear his mask and everything, which is a bummer, but he loves it. And you know, did he get the um, did he get the Betty and the Jets lunchbox, the A Team lunchbox? No, uh, we were the pretty Rocky boring. lunchbox. He picked out like a lightning bolt. Uh, backpack like it has lightning all over it like a mm-hmm. blue lightning and then today he decided to wear a superman shirt for the second day in a row two different superman shirts so he did change his shirts but i was like are you sure you want to you want i didn't say this but you want to be that kid <laughs> <laughs> and he was like maybe i could wear my superman outfit and alex i'm like no 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 no, no. <laughs> let's not start first grade off that intense but you could wear so today he's wearing his black Superman. He has, he has, you know, yesterday he wore his traditional Superman T-shirt with the blue and red. Today it was like a more modern black Superman T-shirt. Uh, well, you know, he's a fan. You know what's yeah. funny is I was watching that um, the documentary series on, I guess it's, uh, maybe it's Apple, where Dave Grohl and his mom go and they interview other rock stars and their moms. Oh, yeah. And Dave Grohl and his mom went and interviewed, and this has a connection to what we're talking about today, interview, went and interviewed Brandi Carlisle and her mom. Oh, yes. And um, in the interview with Brandi Carlisle, she's talking about, like, her first days of going to school, and she had grown up, like, you know, really seeped in ranch culture and the Grand Ole Opry and all that stuff, and horses and everything. And she decided, like, oh, she just made some new friends. I'm going to wear my full, like, shotgun hat, outfit to go play with these girls and she thought she was looking you know flossy going to hang out with these girls and she goes and she hangs out with them and she plays with them all day and as she's leaving like the door closes behind her and she catches something in it and she has to reopen it and she hears the other girls saying like can you believe 
that she was wearing that costume? That is the craziest <laughs> shit we've ever seen in our entire lives. And that was the point at age six that she realized, nah, I guess I can't wear the costumes. <laughs> well, I let Vega wear whatever she wants. And the highest compliment I've ever received is that she dresses like Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus. <laughs> and I was like, we're going to keep that forever. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, that was, I have coffee in my nasal passages. Oh, my God. I I remember very vividly um, wearing, like, getting dressed one morning in a full soccer uniform to go to school. And, and my sister Karen saying, like, hey, buddy, why don't we only wear that when we're playing soccer? <laughs> and I was like, well... <laughs> Like a lot of people will but think, I I, like I a lot want to play soccer at any yeah. moment. Like a lot of people will think that I'm on the team, that I'm on the Oakland Stompers. And Karen was like, "Hey, you know what? They're not gonna think you're on the Oakland Stompers. They're gonna think that you're wearing their uniform, and that's you're wearing cleats, Todd. You can't wear cleats to school. You're gonna slip and fall." And I was like, "Okay, uh, okay. well, I guess I'll wear pants." <laughs> My goal is to just get my kid to wear jeans because all he wears is sweatpants, you know, comfy pants. And I'm like, all right, dude, at some point we have to transition to real pants. But I'm always losing this battle. I, I mean, I don't really care that much. But I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy the way some parents are about their kids clothing, like the amount of money they spend mm -hmm. and like dressing their kids like they're 45 year old. Right. Like businessmen. I'm always like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, you know, it, it looks cute. But I mean, aren't we aren't we about to raise because of the last year and a half, two years, a generation of children who only wear soft pants? Like they probably the lie was not transferred to them. Like you don't have to wear jeans; you can wear any kind of fabric you want as long as it covers your genitalia when you get to school. <laughs> well, there's only so much time before all kids of all genders realize that dresses are like the most comfortable, free flowing sack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, All right, so I, shall we dive I, into... Uh, I think I can make oh. a dress work. Good, <laughs> why not? I have beautiful legs. Just yeah. call it a kilt and, you know... <laughs> that's, that's the name of my memoir, Call It a Kilt. Call It a Kilt. <laughs> Colon, the Goldberg Files. <laughs> All right, so where do we want to start here, guys? Because uh, Misty of Chincoteague... Well, I think, is... we, I think we need to start earlier than that, and that is... We need, to, we need to start with, like I think it was like episode three. Where, yeah, why are we doing this? Where we yeah. found out that Julia was a horse girl, which set me and Ryder off on maybe a 25-minute comedy routine. Well, because I don't, think I, I don't think I had ever heard that term. I don't think really? I really... No, I, I swear. I, we should go back and listen to it, but I'm pretty sure that I had never heard like the phrase horse girl or if i had i didn't realize it was like a thing right. until you sort of pointed it out and we're like oh yeah i was a horse girl and then i didn't i didn't realize that there was a whole subgenre of ya dedicated <laughs> to this uh, i mean i guess it makes sense like, i just never thought about it right because like, i mean but my little pony i guess falls into this category and that was yep. a cartoon when i was a kid and i definitely knew about that so yeah i just never you know and if i thought about it right there were always girls i knew who did horseback riding lessons and I and I had the image of the the outfit, which is very well described in one of these essays. Yeah. You know, like there's there's very clear like look and and type associated with horse girls. But anyway, yeah. tell yours. Which tell we'll us, get into. Yeah, so you being a horse girl, was it about literature or horseback riding itself or both? So both. And really what it was about first and foremost was the horses. So most yeah, you were of all, I was like lover. an animal kid, gotcha. you know, like I moved from horses to wolves and <laughs> whales, <laughs> whales. <laughs> you know, the, whale girl, the, the, the 1990 trifecta, horse, whale. Did you say the whale girl? That's not a thing, right? No. That's not a thing. Unless Whale Rider is a great movie. Okay, we're just going to keep going. Anyway, um, so I don't remember my exact entry point into this, but uh, my cousins had horses. They lived on a farm, and they had a pony and a horse. Um, and I would go there in the summer, and it was like this magical world where you could actually own a wild animal. Right. You know? yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and I don't remember. Like, I was so young this is like from birth um, that we would go there every summer. But then I got really into many of the things described in this book. I got into 
the collectible horses. Right. I got into, I had these, like, how to draw horses books. Oh, my God. I forgot um, about those. Yes. Yeah. And um, I read a ton of it's horse a series books. That was really circles. my main thing. It's a series. Yeah. It's not a series <laughs> of circles. You, I just, you'll just have yeah. a bunch of circles. Jaw. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I did take riding lessons for a few years um, when I was probably, like, like, 8 to 10 or 11 and then I stopped, and then I, as is described in, like, half of these essays, mm-hmm. I went back to it in college. Um, and I took it as a course for credit for a couple semesters. Oh, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. But I was way, way more afraid um, as an adult right. than I was as a kid. And I think the appeal, well, there's many appeals, and we're, we'll talk about all of it. But the appeal was was really interesting because so I don't know if I've said this on the podcast or even to you guys but um fun fact about me when I was a kid I was like the number one shyest kid that you've ever met in your life wow like like I didn't talk at all wow until I was about 11 no Um, way yeah that doesn't sound like you at all I know I know so I I had this strong identity as someone who was like really quiet and communed with animals, and um, which I equals was very popular. Sensitive. That's always equals popular. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, as you can tell, I was incredibly cool. Uh, but like, here, here's how quiet I was. So, like, one of my favorite memories of my life is uh, when I at my eighth birthday party. I was my, we had a big backyard, and I was like playing with one friend in the yard after my party. And three baby fawns came out and, like, came close to us. Like, imagine how quiet of a child you have to be. <laughs> for, like, a group of deer. Yes, like, for deer to be so like, is it, is it dead? It's dead, isn't it? We can, dead, we can eat that. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a meal. So, anyway, horses bridge this really cool gap of, like, they're really sensitive and emotional animals. Mm-hmm. But you're also incredibly incredibly powerful and brave when you're interacting with them because they're gigantic when you're on the ground. yeah they're huge. yeah they weigh 2,000 pounds <laughs> yeah yeah so like even when you're on the ground like brushing them or um you got to put a lot of faith that they're cleaning their hooves you yeah you have to kind of fake this confidence you know and i love that i love that and to this day if someone's like oh hey there's horse rides at dawn on this resort i'm like i want to do that Mm. (laughs) you know like i'll take any pony ride any horse ride i've gone for a number of trail rides um but yeah as as we've as we've seen from these essays like there's many many different kinds of horse girls so i i am not a grade a horse girl i am a girl who dabbled in horses but i i never would have owned a horse and I, I loved horses, but I never even came close to what some of my friends um, and acquaintances have done, which is, you know, go all in, right. go all in on this horse thing, on this what horse about, lifestyle. It's lifestyle. What about like the drawing and the reading? Like, oh, did you yeah. still continue to read about horses into adolescence or was that just going to, did it just become regular literature? You know, I'm you... probably totally wrong, but I, to my knowledge, like the horse it, it goes from, like, YA, like, mm. Misty of Chincoteague. I mean, that's for younger kids, right. but it gets a little older. There's these series um, that I loved and, and horse movies that are every single reference in here. I was like, oh, yep, I watched that. I saw that. I read that. <laughs> yeah. well, well, Black Stallion, um, Black Stallion, is that a YA book or is that yeah. more like... That's why more that's like, YA. It is still YA. Okay. But, like, board- the, the quotes from it in, in one of these essays, I was like, oh, this... Is that basically like Call of the Wild? You know, it sounds it very is. similar in that it's, it's like from the horse's POV. And yeah, I almost chose that for us to read, but I thought Misty of Chinkatee was even more like well, and the niche thing, and dorky. The thing too about Misty of Chinkatee is it's almost from the horse's point of view in different. And we'll right. we'll get to this. Okay. And yeah. But it's so an interesting to, shift to over. finish. Yeah, to finish answering your question, and then let's talk about Misty. Um, yeah, I jumped. I basically, I or there's a jump from like kid horse books to like you know preteen horse books and then you got to go all the way to jane smiley right so i didn't really make that leap i just started reading other things and 
what horse books are really about is like power and freedom and right. wildness right. and adventure. And right. if that's the vibe you're on, there's so many books you can yeah. move to. I mean, like I also read, I think we've talked about before, like the hatchet and other like adventure wilderness books like that. But were, did you um, read Westerns or is that, that's, that's the horse horse books for boys. No, they're not necessarily for boys, but yeah. So there's, there's all different kinds of writing. There's, there's Western, there's, the hunter jumper thing. There's dressage, which is really fancy, and I hope you guys watched it in the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. But then, like this particular genre, this misty of chinkatee. Oh, there's also like this whole like jockey racing genre. Mm-hmm. But um, I was really into the like horses are actually free and we can try to control them, but you really can't. Can't um, break them. You can't. Kind of. Vibe. You can't break them. Yeah. So anything that was like that i i was into but yeah i just misty it just fell off in a lot of ways misty is really follows that trajectory yeah you, you tame know, the wild pony and then at the end you can't you tame can. phantom like phantom's gotta go back you know what's interesting though too is um obviously there's a huge socioeconomic part of it and that's really what a lot of these essays talk about and we can we'll get to that i'm sure as we talk more directly about some of them but I'm thinking about the differences between the sort of horse culture I was aware of in Northern California and the horse culture I was aware of here in the desert where I live. So in Northern California, it was people with ranches, you know, and people who uh, bred horses and then sold them um, or people who like to go to the track. Like what's that big track up uh, in the Bay Area? Um was, I, I don't know. I the one remember. near us was Santa Rosa. Yeah. That's the one I remember, but I forget what it's called. So, but yeah, I know the one you're talking about, yeah. like outside of Oakland. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. it's you know, it a big horse racing place. Then when we moved to the desert when I was uh, 14, this is the home in America of polo. So where Coachella is held every year is the Empire Polo Fields. And oh. it are, it's this massive um, polo complex that is out here in the middle of the desert. And so there's a huge equestrian and polo subculture out here. And so the people, when I was a kid, who were into horses at the time, were into polo. Or were into um, the, not the dressage, but the jumping stuff. God, uh, the heat seems like it would be awful for horses. Yeah, it does. But I guess, you know, for the the season for the for polo and everything, and we, and we go um, and watch polo sometimes. Yeah, it's fun to it's, watch, it's, man. It's super I've seen fun. one polo yeah. game in my life. It was crazy. It go, it's like November to to March, and then and then they, okay, they yeah. leave. But polo teams from all around the world, like the last time we went actually was March 6th of 2020. Uh, we went to polo, and... Um, it was like a team from Dubai and a team from Italy were participating. And the horses, you know, are are gigantic. I mean, they're just yeah. enormous creatures. And the guys riding the horses are the most beautiful men you've ever seen in your entire life. And <laughs> so there's like, I'm like, oh, this is cool. And there's there's champagne and shrimp. And Wendy's like, that is a good looking man on that horse. Um, <laughs> um but so it's these two entirely different subcultures. And in my mind, when I was a kid, like if you had a ranch and you're on the rural side of Walnut Creek, that maybe you weren't very affluent, but I was probably wrong about that. But here in the desert, like if you're into horses, you're, you're a, a, a millionaire, you know, to be able to yeah. pay for it. Um, but it's like these two totally different things. And, you know, there's huge, vast parts of the community here that have never seen a horse. You know, just... It's very strange to me, but I I really understand the allure more after reading these essays in this book, but also from having gone to the polo and just seeing the way these these beautiful animals are. But then I'm like, why are we using these animals for sport? Like these these animals should be set free and run down Palm Canyon and be run over by a Hyundai. <laughs> wow, what a dream! What a dream! Yeah, let yeah, them go. And I mean- there are so many different subcultures. Like, even as you're describing yeah. those, you know, like, I'm on the East Coast. That's a completely different thing. Right. I think, uh, how many of these essays mention Connecticut? A right? lot, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's a different kind of wealth, and it's a different kind of riding. Mm-hmm. And there's, not that there isn't all these styles of riding everywhere, but, you know, it would be much harder for me to, like, take up barrel racing in New Jersey right. than right. in the West, where it's... Right. 
this super cool thing that I read about in books and seemed like like no one would ever actually do in real life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just it still appeals. Like I <laughs> when uh oh god, only certain listeners will get this, but when I took Vega to see Frozen Two, so there's this scene where um uh, Elsa out of the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elsa like basically conjures this water she doesn't conjure but this water spirit in the form of a horse like appears to her out of the ocean and then she rides it i was like this is everything i ever wanted as a child (laughs) like ocean singing taming a frozen water horse like how much better can it get this is it (laughs) so yeah i I don't know why are you crying (laughs) i i mean i really was like this is for me um and i know other people must have like triangulations of things but yeah like that and i don't know what they are because like that's mine it's it's almost i think for a lot of little girls horses are like truly spiritual Mm -hmm. experience um and i was one of them Hmm. and that's the answer that's what kind of horse girl i was it was like magical and powerful and it made me feel very brave um and yeah it's like the biggest animal you can get on top of and ride I mean, maybe it's really that simple. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the novel first, and then some of these essays in Horse yeah, Girls. Yeah, because I feel like Misty gets right to the heart yeah. of all of that. Yeah. Like it, it yeah. it's like the sort of urtext of horse yes. girlness. Yes. <laughs> or, I even, suggested this because yeah. there's a mythology and everything. There is, but it's also interesting to me that it's not specifically horse girlness. It's more like horse kidness, right? Because oh, it's yeah. supposedly both a brother and that. a sister that 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 together, and, and in fact, the boy ends up being the writer, right. which I was surprised by. I thought it was gonna maybe just because of my association with the horse girl phenomenon. But yeah, he ends up riding, the boy ends up riding the horse the most, but they both, it's their dream, right? right. And and then it is this sort of like exactly what you're describing, this like scary, big, wild animal that they're able to tame. And right. th- there's something magical and spiritual about that. And then, of course, they can't fully tame her. Right. But uh, then also that the, the pureness of the children... Is part yeah. of the reason why Phantom, this great untamable beast, yes, accedes to their will. They're yes. they're un, so, they're unpolluted. Yes. Yeah. So let's just quickly go over the plot of Misty of Chincoteague. So, um, these two kids, Paul and Marine B. Well, no, before that, a Spanish galleon. Right. Oh, sorry. Lost its hundreds sea. of years earlier. Sixteenth <laughs> century <laughs> crashes, and the only people that survive are not people at all, but horses. Right. Which okay. Uh, so the then these, of Chincoteague. Uh, yeah, they populate, uh, they populate Assateague and then they are every year they, there's a big swim where, um, the people of Chincoteague, this adjacent island, make the horses swim across Which uh, is the, true. the water. This is all true. That what? blew my mind that this is Why all true. Why do they make them? So wait, th- that's real. Yes. This is real. Because they have they to stop them from inbreeding. Right. Because if they just left them on the island, they would all be inbred. So this right. way they thin them out by bringing them, making them, sw- rounding them up, swimming across, and then selling some of them. I right. Guess, or which right. Are, yeah. So dilute, exactly what happens diluting the, the gene pool. So that's a real exactly. thing that they actually do on yeah. this island. Yeah. Wow. Yes, okay. this is real. So, um, and by the way, one of my life's dreams to go see this. Couldn't they just the put them on a roundup? Yeah, it would not be nearly as spectacular. Or death-defying. Okay. Well, anyway, Paul and Maureen Beebe, they hear about this horse um, called the Phantom, Phantom. who's, like, so wild. She's too wild. wild. Too wild. Too wild. The dick of the the horses on the island, yes. You can't can't catch Phantom. Can't catch Phantom. No. No. Um, but they decide they are going to spend their summer. I think this is a crucial part of the narrative. Like they, them taking on the independence, they're going to spend their summer, um, breaking colts, meaning like taming them and training them, breaking colts and, and making money. They, they save up a hundred dollars, which is kind of crazy. Of yeah. In 1950 cash. Yeah. That's like yeah. 10 grand. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was like, are they, mo- I was really impressed. I was like, are they selling cocaine? How do they get all that money? <laughs> So then um, Paul, the boy, because, yeah, I think there's some really interesting gender stuff in here. Too. He's yeah. invited to go along on this pony roundup. He's a real horseman. Assateague. 
at that point. Yeah, and he, he goes over. Not a waterman. And he, n- a horse not man. only does he find Phantom, but Phantom has <laughs> the cutest little baby foal with her named Misty. Uh, or he names her Misty. And then he, uh, he he rounds them up. He helps them swim across the water. Um, and then they, uh, through a series of light shenanigans, they <laughs> almost don't get to buy the horses. But then they do buy the horses. And then they tame them. Um, and Misty loves people for some weird reason. Really? Um, uh, and then, but Phantom's too wild. And... They often the stall- called off by Pied Piper. Yeah, the stallion Pied Piper comes back together, and everyone's often, like, "It's better this way." Often, <laughs> often Phantom is seen, sort of absent, gazing, gazing, looking out toward the ocean. Yeah, staring at it's the. It's mi- totally Call of the Wild. Staring like, at yeah, the middle same distance. story, right? It's like this tension between domestication and wildness, right. and like animals being kind of both right uh, and i just yeah it was great well it's phantom crazy. loves her daughter at night the ocean calls to her still yeah so that's the book and as you that, guys that's probably literally can... the book <laughs> that's, that's the it book. that's yeah. all that happens uh as you can probably tell this kicks off a series so there's more there's there's more about a lot more about Misty. One of them is Stormy, Misty's foal, and then mm. it'll get into this whole horse lineage, which is like another horse people thing is lineage. Um, so so yeah, that's that's what we read. And what? was this like the first one? I mean, this was is the this first one? This is yeah. the book that that sort of launched right. the whole genre like of horse books. I'm not sure about that. Um, mm-hmm. because well, I'm gonna go with no. I don't. I don't even know what. Oh, 1947. Wow. Um, but horse. I mean, we should say like humans and horses go way back. <laughs> right, <laughs> so right, right. There's quite a lot of others, and I almost the two others I considered choosing are Black Stallion, which is really similar, but it's about a boy and a stallion who are the only two survivors of a shipwreck, and they basically save each other. Right. You know. Right. And that one, I. Ryder, you should read that with India, but he'd love it. Um, yeah, and that was a movie, too. That's mm-hmm. I, I just remember a movie when I was a kid, but I don't think yeah. I ever saw it. I just knew and, of it. And then another classic is Black Beauty, which is really good, but very different. It's about uh, another black stallion who is sold to different owners, and you see that it moves. like You see, basically, the, like, the range of human cruelty and kindness. Oh, that's very um, Call of the Wild, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, I almost chose both of those, but I, I picked Misty of Chincoteague because it's got a girl in it. And I do want to mention like horse girls, like girls only. I think that's a much more recent phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It used to be just a part of childhood. And I wonder if it's not that horse girls edge things out, but that boys being less into horses is just like another death knell of toxic masculinity and that level of like sensitivity and vulnerability right. and freedom was like taken from boys at some point culturally. Well, and it, that, uh, Alex Lesnovich, uh, Mar, I can never remember her name. She wrote Fractal Body and she has an essay in here. Um, Alex Marzano Lesnovich talks about that in her essay about like, if you want to like a, a good horse movie for me or horse story, for me, is more Brokeback Mountain than X, Y, Z. Um, and so I think I think because of the sensitivity that is being shown and the empathy, it is not an easy match for the kinds of boy stories where they're fighting in war and all that crap. Um, so here's... Well, the- I, I don't know. That's what I can... I, like, that was my sort of big question. It's like, what is a horse boy? Does that exist? Right. And I was like, well... Is there an absence of it, or does it just mean that you're just a cow cowboy, cowboy or you're right. just like a rancher kid, or like because there's there's definitely boys who get obsessed with horses too, right? Yeah. And like learn how to ride them, but you don't hear about them as like a cultural phenomenon the same they're, way you hear about they're this just horse a cowboy. You know? They're just like a guy who rides horses, or right. they get into ranching or rodeo or whatever. But yeah, but why is like the girl factor so? But you know, so here, here's the thing, though, like rodeo and all that stuff. That's about dominating the animal, not right. becoming kin to the animal. Like you, but there must actually be a relation. I mean, they yeah. must become. But like you, you just don't read up, books about it. You don't see cartoons steer, about it. You, you know? don't. 
there's like you know, but but there's always but the, whenever a girl has a relationship with a horse, it seems like it's it's more of a story. It's right. more of a thing, and that you know, I just find that interesting. I don't really know. Well, I mean, I think some of these essays really go into why that is. Yeah. Um, it's more of like, a metaphor. Is it, yeah, it seems like it is, right? It's like, but for oh, I don't know. but for Misty, it's itself the book. I mean, it it's sort of refreshing sometimes to read these children's books from the 1940s that have this sort of earnest aw shucks about them, um, because I kept waiting for the kids to really be screwed over by adults. Like I always just like, well, this is where it's going to take a turn, and they're going to start abusing the horses, and the, the Adults are going to be horrible. The adults, through and through, good, pretty decent lovely. people. <laughs> just, yeah. Everyone's really pretty much Although, where the are their team. parents? There's no explanation. They're being raised by their grandma and grandpa. Yeah. And there's no mention dead. of their parents. Yeah. yeah. Dead parents. There are dead parents. Dead parents. It's like a Hallmark mm-hmm. Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the grandparents are sweet and lovely, and grandma's always baking a little something, and grandpa's got a lot of world-weary wisdom from the First World War, and... All that sort of stuff. Um, But I got to tell you, the thing that really was striking to me was, like, I really began to feel emotional about Phantom's need to be free. Like, you can't put that (laughs) horse... You can't can't do this to Phantom. Like, this is not... Phantom belongs to the world of the spirits. Misty belongs to the world of men, or whatever the fucking line is. Um... And I, I was like, you gotta let Phantom go. Like, you can't. This, this is a wild animal. You can't chain her up. You can't even just let her race. Like, that's wrong. Yeah, I feel like a lot of horse books. So, by the way, I just looked it up, um, and the first, the Ur horse book is is considered Black Beauty, which was written in 1877. Oh wow! Eight, whoa. Um. So anyway, there's that. But I think. Uh, all if most if not all horse books have this bittersweet note that reflects you know reflects back our ambivalence about training wild animals right. you know, like we want to have them but we know it's probably not great and that they they're connected with something else in nature mm-hmm. um and that's just a pure part of the genre you know like you're gonna get that in most <laughs> horse books Right, yeah. but I'm glad it touched you, Todd. That's, it did, that's and nice. and um, you know, I like sort of the like you know Paul's dreaminess. I I found you know sort of charming and adorable. And I gotta tell you, like I'm a sucker for brothers and sisters. I just I'm a sucker for stories where there's a brother and a sister and they're doing some shit together. I just love that stuff. And it might just be because I spent the weekend with my sisters. Um, who I hadn't seen in almost two years. Um, oh my God. And so it felt, it felt great to see them. Um, and just, you know, there's that, that unspoken language between siblings that I think in literature um, provides a lot of unwritten emotion, you know, between the two of them too. And I think that's, I think that's hard to accomplish. And so the writing of, the, of those two characters, I really appreciated. I, uh, I wanted some trauma. I wasn't, uh, it was all too happy. <laughs> I, I think I think my I think honestly like while I was reading this I was like oh you know when I first started I was like oh I'll read this to Indy but I think he'd be bored by it I'll try but I think he'd be bored by it um and I think uh you know for my taste like uh yeah I, I like my children's literature with a little more death and trauma and... <laughs> it's just too good it was like you said like it was all too like it, it sort of flatlined for me it was like right and I mean yeah like I guess the the wildness of the animal, all, but I would much rather, you know, I think Indy would be much more excited if it, if there was a little bit more like conflict. There was there was very little conflict in no, this there's book. No, there's no conflict. So even if even without like you know people being abusive or awful like or dying, uh, there wasn't very much conflict. So I have a maybe I already you know he might just be too old. Like maybe I should have you know sprung this on him when he was four or five and it would have. But mostly what I felt was like oh if I I, I want Indy to feel these things about animals I I want him to like try horseback riding, like go meet a horse or like feed a horse or just be in the presence of a horse, which uh, he hasn't done since he was really little. Yeah. I think he sat on a horse when he was like three, but like, that's mostly what it made me want to do. I don't know if this story would work for him. I don't know. know. I mean, I might as well try. Yeah. There's something magical about this reading level of book, you know, which is low, you know, this is Mm -hmm. for, it's for kids. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm not sure we need like cinematic conflict in these stories. You know, there's, there is definitely like a drive to it of the kids are working hard to get their horse and this feeling of, you know, but is this really the right thing? Like they want what they want so badly and then it ultimately ends up being wrong and right. i guess they waste a hundred bucks yeah, like because their horse runs away give them some money <laughs> yeah i mean i like i like this notion of like you want to possess this thing and then mm -hmm. you realize that oh man can't i can't mm -hmm. i mean it, it it's a it's a good story about it's actually a, a good companion to east of eden right which we read in our last episode because they're both actually, about the the primal nature of things. Steinbeck has a horse book called The Red Pony. No, right, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot Which about I read, that. but I can't remember. But I, I think it's it just about, it's, I think it's a pretty classic horse book. Like, yeah. follows the story of a red pony and a boy and a father, I think, who adopt. I don't and know, then there's some remember, BDSM but... and a, a murder. No, no, and then, no. And then they shoot Lenny in the back of the head. Well, the, the phrase that I think, is it in the introduction, but it actually comes up a, a sort of version of it comes up in a couple of the essays is the idea of borrowed freedom. Mm -hmm. And then someone else in another essay calls it borrowed beauty. Mm -hmm. I, I love that idea. Like uh, that, that, yeah. You, when you own a horse, you know, and a lot of the essays sort of get at this is like, why do I love this so much? Why is this such a thing? And it ends up always being about the connection with this animal, like right. a really personal loving connection that is both super powerful and empowering, but also like inherently sad because right. they, Either going to have to say goodbye to this thing that they love so much, either via death or selling the horse because they can't afford to keep it anymore, just can have a better life somewhere, or just the knowledge that you're never going to be able to completely control this thing, right? Like you're never, it's, mm -hmm. it is an animal. It's its own existence. And yeah, that's, that's like sort of baked into the relationship yeah. in all of these essays. And, and there is something mournful too about like staring into a horse's face and those giant eyes and you thinking like their, their head is larger than ours. They must have some complex thoughts going on in there. Like, did you, like, when you were dealing with horses on an intimate level, Julia, did you feel like there was an emotional connection? Did, did the horses know you? Yeah, I mean, I never had, like, a horse mm -hmm. that I exclusively rode, but uh, they are incredibly intelligent and sensitive. So, like, one thing when you're a kid learning to ride um, that you learn is... You, you do guide the horse with your legs and with the reins and stuff, but you always want to look where you want the horse to go. And they do seem to have this ability to, uh, obviously they're picking up on your physical cues, but like it feels like mind reading. Like I'm going to look over here and the horse is going to go over here. They're just so sensitive to every like touch and movement um, that it does feel like this deep connection. Um, yeah, I think an equivalent or a really close genre is like the dog book, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but the thing about horses is like, they're not in your house. You have to go to them. You right, have to be in like right. their space in a way you have to be in the barn or the right. ring or right. the trail or the ranch. Um, and so you're really entering their wild world, um, and trying to master it. Hmm. Yeah, and but there is there is that built in there is some built in sadness to it that you don't feel mm -hmm. on a day to day basis with your dog. Like if I mean my dog was just sitting here next to me and, and I don't look at it every day and think I will lose you in approximately eleven years. Um, <laughs> but there is, but I also don't feel like I'm containing her. Um, but maybe that's just me reading it, me assuming these things from having read all these essays and having just read Misty of Chincoteague too, where there is like if you are an empathetic human being. There is some part of the relationship where you're like, oh, God, I feel like you need more space to run around, you know, like there's that um, there's the Jane Smiley essay in this book, which is quite good because she's Jane Smiley, um, where she she's purchased essentially an old racehorse. And she talks about the one time like she took it out on a track and basically gave it the permission to just go. And the horse ran so fast that it brought tears to her eyes as she was holding on to the horse. And you realize, like, oh, my gosh, like, how long has the horse been wanting to do that? How long has it been since the horse has really let itself go? Um, and that's, like, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, and I, the process of naming a horse 
you know, you are forcing it to put something in its mouth that it's at first like, um, what the hell? And then, you know, you're physically on it. You know, you're dominating it in some way. And since they're so much bigger, you know, it's really like a mental and emotional domination too. So I think, yeah, that's where the ambivalence comes from too. It's like, well, in order to connect with this horse, I have to break it. That's, that is the term is break a horse and then, and then it's yours. That's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you don't have to break a cocker spaniel. Yeah, we broke that... them out over hundreds of generations with genetics. Mm-hmm. Just right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what's funny is that you say like that's weird, and I kind of feel the same way. But the truth is, up until a hundred years ago, we all had to deal with horses all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're just right. so. I mean, we talked about this when with East of Eden when he introduces the automobile. Like it's we it's we it's so far beyond our understanding that like it used to just everybody had to deal with horse poop constantly right. and horses <laughs> and everybody had a barn and a stall. Like you had to tie up your horse. Like it's crazy I to mean, think that we for still use hundreds horse of horsepower as a measurement. Yes. It's, <laughs> and so like I wonder, you know, I wonder how much of the the sort of genre or the all of this stuff is a in a weird way like a nostalgia like in this mm-hmm. this like sort of like genetic longing that we feel this connection to these animals that we don't have anymore but we used to probably just totally take for granted it was just like right. ah the horse you know and like now we sort of cherish this connection and this relationship but it must be like you know bred into us to a certain extent too like over yeah, how that's many generations so interesting. yeah that's a great point like they were our locomotion yeah for like for a long time, they were our locomotion. <laughs> Thousands of years. Thousands of years, they were our locomotion. And then when um, when the apes took over the planet, they were their locomotion. <laughs> well, I have to tell you guys, and then we can talk more about the essays, but um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my favorite horse memory of my whole life, which is I lived, when I was 22, I lived in China, and I took a trip to Mongolia with my sister, who was only 18 at the time. She flew out um, with me to Mongolia. And there's this festival in Mongolia, um, a national festival where there's three sports, um, archery, wrestling, and like five-year-olds who ride horses 100 miles. What? Um, what? <laughs> but, so since all of these take up so much Is that the so official title? <laughs> Is that a Five-year-olds who I, ride horses 100 miles. Um. So they put kids on horses? Do they staple them Oh, yeah, them because in Mongolia... Yeah. All right, well, oh let, me, let me... In Mongolia, everybody still rides horses. Like, yeah. that's just part of the, the culture. Um, oh, where is it? I, I will find it in a second. Oh, Nadam. That's what it's called. The Nadam Festival. Um, so anyway, to see all these sports, like, all the spectators are on horseback. So... Um, my sister and I had to like rent a horse and get a guide and we rode around on horses to like watch archery and to watch this race. Um, and it was so much fun and so amazing. And of course I had my horse girl thing, but my sister was more of a gymnastics girl. So I think this might've been her first time really riding horses. And we just had a blast, you know, like using these horses as transportation, um, to like hang out, like imagine being at, you know, a fest and everybody's on a horse. So and in Mongolia, a lot of those people are drunk. Let's just, just like they would be if here. we just wind if we can just wind it back for just one sec. Are the five year olds competing against each other? Yeah, it's a race. Wow. And do the five year olds um, get fed and they get to sleep? I, I yeah, feel, this is feels like this is not legal. It is so legal. Okay, hold on. Let me let me. Have you seen what Americans do to their kids? Well, I mean, we 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 tie like three year olds to sheep. (laughs) We do like that's the beginning of rodeos. Like we make them ride little rams. We're like, good luck, kid. We do also put them in 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 football jerseys and make them ram into each other. Yeah, they slam their heads against each other. All right, so it's called the three sports of men. Wrestling, archery, and horse racing. Jockeys normally learn to ride a horse from three to five years old and start racing from five years old. Oh my wow. god, that is so intense! That's crazy. So the idea is that they're smaller, so the horses actually can really, run. really run fast. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. And far, they also run far. It's not like a quick 
lap around a track. It's it's outdoors. It's just like across the right. across the Julia. W- All right, so- hold on one second. I have an important question, Julia. Where were you in terms of horse girl songs? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Like wildfire. Oh, oh I guess. <laughs> you know, Justin, it's a good Where time. Are you in terms of horse Justin, girl songs? this is a good time for a musical interlude with Wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm just curious. Like, is that part of the whole deal? Like, oh, we're gonna get together and we're gonna play Wildfire for 12 hours. Um, not for me, but like I said, I was not an advanced. <laughs> And you're a little older. Right. That song was popular in the seventies. Okay. So Julia, your essay, your essay, if you had been included in the Horse Girls collection, your essay probably would have been about that festival. It's it seems yeah. like the essays in here fall into kind of two categories, or sometimes both at once. Which is here is my personal history with horses, right? And which is both oftentimes tragic. It seems like, uh, and then also let's investigate why there's this horse girl thing. And uh, I would say the first couple really go deep into that, uh, especially the one by uh, Carmen Maria Machado. Yeah, that's really book interesting we read. Yeah. That was a really interesting one. Yeah. I love her. And I, I felt like that was, that was a really still good one of one. my favorites. Because, you know, she basically, you know, writes this sort of manifesto-ish, like what is a horse, or inquisition about, like what is a horse girl? Right. And why, you know, and it's just like all these... Uh, paragraphs with titles uh, you know about random stuff the first lesson a nasty thing and then these great little reflections on her her history with horses but also like what a horse girl is which includes I think the defining line uh, lithe teenage girls with impossible French braids who as adult women will tell men they're not like other girls (laughs) if you were to lean close and breathe deep she would smell like heterosexuality independence whiteness femininity than a heart note of old school feminism both admirable and dated which oh my (laughs) god God, just nailed it like just unbelievable yeah so there's i feel like the essay sort of you know for me the ones that were the most interesting were the ones that sort of investigate the phenomenon because i don't know personal history about your relationship with a horse by like the third one i was like okay Got it. Yeah. <laughs> you had a special. You had a special connection. Right. You like, like I, I told you guys when we were we were texting each other about whether we were finished with the book or not. I was like, I still have two essays, but I'm skipping whenever they write about riding. Yeah. You know, like because the the passages of them riding, I'm like, there's only so many like wind in my hair right. and the feel of the horse between my legs and the boots on my. And it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> you um, can still yeah, feel I, them pressing against your ankles. Yes. <laughs> I really like the essays that challenged or poked around at this like rich white girl yeah i don't want to say stereotype because it's so true like the culture that we all Mm -hmm. assume when we hear it Mm -hmm. so um my favorite one was oh my gosh what's her name the one about the texan girl who learned barrel racing in 4-h yeah that was cool um and she's black and was basically tortured by the other horse girls um for her blackness and that was really good and it also that that one also contained a moment that many of the essays contain that i think is so real for you know thousands or millions of women where they now have this like secret horse girl past right um and when you are not fitting into that stereotype like how that operates later in your life is is really interesting Mm -hmm. So I love that one. I, I really liked um, Jane Smiley's essay, No Regrets. For, for It's funny. It was the least favorite for me. But Well, I'll tell you why. Is that yeah. of all of the people I thought would have, you know, like no period of time where horses were not in their life is Jane Smiley. Like Jane's like, as Julia said at the top of the show, it's like, oh, it's black beauty and it's this and this. And then 25 years later, it's Jane Smiley. Like Jane Smiley is so closely associated with horses and sort of country life to find out that she had gone 25 years without riding a horse and it was only basically after she turned 43 and she was up in the country with her kids and her now ex-husband that it came back to her i was like at 43 like you're jane smiley that was cool you know know. 
And, I mean, she had already won a Pulitzer at that point. Right. So. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. Like, I just assumed like your entire She's life. She's always riding horses. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it goes to something that's sort of universal in these things, which is that all of them have a space where horses leave their lives. And yeah. so even for Jane Smiley, and a little bit differently, I like the, the T. Kira Madden one also about um, about horses, where her wife breeds horses. Um, but f- even for Jane Smiley, there's a period of time where it's like your imaginary friend disappeared and you didn't need them anymore. And then all of a sudden, one day, your imaginary friend came back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the And then just from a pure writing standpoint, like some of the details, like that like these pedigreed horses have a tattoo inside their lip and you can go check on who they were. I was like, Oh, that's, that's a great fucking detail that I'll be stealing for something at some point in my life. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I just loved, um, I loved her integration of her life and horses and, um, how the, the one horse that she really cared for that, you know, that she bought and then eventually sold, how it didn't like her ex-husband, but liked the man who became her next husband. You know, all these sort of things where you're like, oh, there is, like, Jane should have seen what the horse saw, you know? And maybe that's just magical realism in, in, in a kind of way. But I don't know, I just, I like that. Um, and I, I loved Carmen Maria Machado's. So I thought that one was the best one, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that was sort of the one that you needed up front to be yeah. like, let's break down this whole thing. Yeah. And like, because then because then you could see the other essays sort of fall under the different categories that she explicates yeah, in her exactly. inquiry. You know, exactly. they really like, you know, because there's like the one that I think was probably the, the most devastating. Well, they're all devastating. <laughs> A lot of them are devastating. But For the Roses by mm. Ali Robottom, which yeah. is the one about, you know, really just needing to win to get her father's approval yeah. uh, and like her life of oh man um the one that i that, that spoke to me the most maybe not surprisingly is the one that sort of focuses most on being a writer not a writer writer I, 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 I've recently found out that when I introduce myself, often people think I'm saying my job, not my name. <laughs> I didn't realize. Yes. No, just when I say like, hi, I'm writer, people think I'm saying writer and they don't say anything and then find out later, like, oh, you said writer. I thought you were just introducing yourself as a writer. I'm like, oh God, the people, like, it must happen all the time. Anyway, I, <laughs> I know. So like now I have to like really hit the D hard these days. Anyway, as a writer, the Adrian, Adrian Kelt, or maybe it's Celt, I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. C-E-L-T is her last name. Right. And it's, it's what will leave you. And she talks about getting into horseback riding at the age of 30 when she started writing a book because mm-hmm. she wanted to research this website. Western. And what I loved about this essay is that it ends up being about how she couldn't write that book. Right. And and then couldn't keep the horse uh, that she fell in love with and sort of, you know, and I just thought, what a cool story. Like, what a, you know, to make a story out of the sort of the anti-story, right? right. Or like the, the failure of the story. Like, the, the typical essay would be, and then I wrote the great masterpiece that changed my career. And instead she was like, no, I realized I, I wasn't going to always own a horse and I wasn't going to write that book. Mm-hmm. I was going to write other things. I just found that really... Um, really nice. She has this passage where she talks about um, people used to love hearing about how I bought my horse. It was a good story with a happy ending, which left me in the role of the cowboy. It sounded bold and brave and beautiful, and it was it was those things. But the story of selling her, though, less majestic, is I think the braver one. Not so entertaining, and certainly less cool. But the right choice made the hard way. Yeah. I love that. That's I was good. like, oh, that's cool. This is an essay that started off one way, totally took me a new way, and also just made me feel good as a writer because mm-hmm. of all the projects I've abandoned. You know? um, it's like, right, we all start books and don't finish them, or scripts and don't finish them, and that's okay. Did, did either of you, in reading Alex Marzano Lesnovich's Hungry and Carefree, um, were you at all thinking about, like, oh, I already know this woman's life because I read Fact of a Body, and then we're like, she doesn't, I don't think she mentions any of this horse stuff in Fact of a Body. What has she left no. out of her memoir? I did. <laughs> I did. I was like, God damn it. This is, how did this end up on the cutting room floor? And then I was like, Do, were there parts where she talks about horseback riding? Very confusing. I don't think so, right? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But yeah. like, here's this big, long essay. I mean, and from a, a writer point of view, like, isn't it interesting the things we even leave out of a very investigative memoir into our own lives. Um, and then you have here a very, it's a, it's a fantastic essay that she writes. Um, 
where she's, you know, essentially reclaiming a, a, a book of trans literature in the process of talking about horses. Um, but it's like, oh, like here's here's a, a part of her life that was interesting enough for this piece that does not exist in her absolutely fantastic memoir. It also just costs so much money. Yeah. It's so expensive. Like, that's what's crazy. Yeah. It's like every single one of these essays, it's like eventually you slam up against the class issue. Either right. that you're reading mm-hmm. it and you're like, well, this person had money. Right. <laughs> like this is this is one of the lucky authors who had money at, as a kid or whatever. Or they're struggling with the fact that they didn't have it. Yeah. They or, didn't have access to the horse world because they didn't have the money. Or it's even in crazy. Courtney Mom's essay where she's in Mexico during the pandemic. And it turns out this wealthy woman is getting polo lessons at the same time and doesn't want anyone to find out that she's not sheltering in place. But, man, she really loves to play polo and really loves taking these lessons. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that is the difference between us and them. (laughs) Yeah, like there it is right there. Let them eat polo. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that is how most horse hobbies end it's just this sad fizzle out of like i can't afford this anymore you know whereas with other sports you know you're coming up against your physical ability or maybe an injury whereas mm. with horses i mean of course that doesn't happen people i was gonna say themselves. that does yeah because a lot of the like weight stuff for girls mm. and mm-hmm. it reminded me a lot of like ballet yeah you know it's like this sort of thing that a lot of a lot of girls aspire to and they do as as young but then when they hit adolescence it's like you don't have the right body for this right. mm-hmm. and it's like suddenly this new like edge enters their favorite pastime and their mm-hmm. skill set and it sounds just awful it's you know yeah. I, I don't know like if i had a daughter i would be very hesitant well i mean i guess that's a good question like do like is there a way to be a horse girl without it being incredibly problematic like can't like if if your daughter is into horses, Julia, how is there a way to like give access to this world? Yeah, so I'm not an expert, but um, here, let me give you the answer. <laughs> Let's take it back to ballet. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, first of all, Vega is definitely she's into everything in general. But one of the more hilarious pandemic memories that we have is we were playing at her cousin's house and the kid next door, like it was their birthday, but they were only one, but the parents had rented a pony um, (laughs) for a one-year-old. There were no other kids and it was the pandemic. So it was like, there was no kids. So it was just pony sitting there and they're like, hey, Vega, do you want to ride this pony? And so she read it like 10 times, you know? (laughs) Um, But anyway, yeah, Vega's interested in in dance. She's three and a half. So I'm like, I don't want, I'm not getting on this ballet track. <laughs> um, so, but You're some friends. You're already putting your foot down. Yeah. Hip hop dancing. Friends, yes. Well, yes. Yeah, this is, okay, that's where this is okay. going. Yeah. So somebody, rec- I'm, I'm friends with a lot of dancers here. Um, and I was like, what do I do? You know, like, how do I not be a dance mom, but like meet my child's interests? And they were like, there's this class at this dance studio called Hip hop flip flop. That's half hip hop and half gymnastics. Oh, nice. So Vega's doing that, and I do think that there's. I don't know because I'm not in the horse world, but I'm sure there are, you know, more low key barns and more low key like summer camps and programs. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, I'm gonna let her pursue her interests, but I do have an eagle eye on all of the different activities that I know can really mess girls up mm-hmm. um, or boys up, you know, like I'm sure there's a lot of body image stuff for boys and men in riding too. So I don't know. It's just like, you got to trust that these activities evolve with the times and somebody's doing it well. And then that's the work that you have to do as a parent is like find yeah. out who's doing it at exactly the level mm-hmm. you them to are do. comfortable with yeah yeah do uh do either of you like horse racing okay so i went to college in saratoga springs right so i have been to the races a few times i mean racing is particularly abusive yeah it seems like it um yeah so it's 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 obviously fun to bet on right. random animal racing um but don't, like as soon but no i'm not into it no it's weird like you, you because, like, I will wa- watch the Kentucky Derby or something on TV if I were to happen across it, but I don't actually care about it. And I've been to the horse races, I think, twice in my life, both times when I was in college. And 
at first I was like, oh, this is interesting. And there's always a palpable excitement in the air, you know, because there's money to be won. Um, but then, like, it, as soon as I start, like, looking at the horses being shoved into the starting gates and sort of being manipulated by these people, and they're, they're doing this thing so someone else can get rich, it all starts to make me angry really fast. Yeah, yeah. It's... And the, and you're talking about so much money too. So talking, much money. You know how much these horses cost, and mm-hmm. and the breeding of them, and the weird like black market issues. Yeah. Like it's just all. It's very. It's it's a very weird world. That is definitely you know, and yeah. it's it's just a lot. I, I feel like it's just one of those things some people make their entire life. You know. Yeah. But yeah, here in 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 L. A. We have the Santa Ana, which has you know been shut down because they killed the, what seven horses last year. Or something. More than that. Oh it's re- it was like twenty four oh, horses. It was yeah, there was like all numbers. these horses kept dying. It was like, well, we don't know. It's like, well, maybe what you're doing is just awful in general. Yeah. It's not anything specific. But yeah, I took my son there when we he was like maybe three and we had a great day you know because it was it was you know for him to be able to see these horses and like we get to pick one and we watch it almost win or you know whatever like that was fun but uh yeah like since i heard about all those deaths last year i think it was last year or maybe the year before it's been i i don't i don't think i would choose to go yeah it it was a really bad thing there was something like 20 horses died one year is it really that many yeah and then and then as soon as the la times started really putting a, a lantern over it like they're like, well, we've improved conditions, and then like as soon as they'd say that, like two horses would die, um, and so they shut it all down for a while, and then then they had to shut it down during the pandemic, regardless. But yeah, it was like a lot of dead horses, over and over and over again. But so, but now I'm like, okay, but I like to go watch the polo, but do I really like to watch the polo, or do I like to sit in this really nice suite that someone else is paying for and eat shrimp? Like what? Like right. what is the thing that I'm enjoying here? The class, right? Yeah. It's like it's like going to the Kentucky Derby for the hats right, and the drinks. Right. It's like a, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Course culture can be fun, and it's just its own world, right? I mean, but it is incredibly class con- or class based. I mean, well, that's, the, you just can't avoid it. So the cool it. thing though about the polo in the desert is you can go for free. Oh, cool. So there's there's all these beautiful suites and stuff, but right. anyone can go and sit right on the right on the field. So there is a day during um, the week where you can anyone can go and watch polo. All you do is pay to park, and it's four hundred dollars to park now. <laughs> it's, it's like ten bucks to park, and it's and it's super fun. And people bring their whole family and they bring their fucking dogs and stuff. And you know it's a it's a thing, um, but you know I'm probably the same old hypocrite I've always been. Like horse racing bad, polo good. My wheels are turning on this. Like, horses were so essential until, you know, 100 years ago. Right. Yeah. Like, are we part of a slow fade-out right now of, like, yeah. our our own animal abuse? Like, in 100 years from now, will no one be riding horses? Will there be no zoos? Will there be no SeaWorld? Mm, you know? Right, right. Um, and that wouldn't entirely surprise me. You know, these things have, like, tradition and culture behind them. But I think that seed of doubt is truly planted um, and we'll see where it goes. Well, it was funny that that actually came up in a conversation I was having with somebody about, um, P.T. Barnum. Um, I think it was because of the greatest showman on earth, which I haven't seen, but somebody was saying they loved it. And I was like, Oh, is it good? You know, I'd heard mixed things or whatever. And they were like, yeah, it's great. Except, you know, it completely ignores all the things that Barnum did to animals. Um, and my response was like, yeah, but but what was everybody doing to animals back then? Right. Like, like, the, like, and in fact, what Barnum did, and I mean, I'm sure this is a much bigger discussion, but like, to me, it was like, he actually probably inspired a lot of Americans to even like know what elephants were or like, you know, and, and if you think about it, he was living and especially growing up in a time when horses were everywhere. So people treated animals completely as beasts of burden. Like that's what they were. They, you didn't consider a horse's feelings as much probably i don't know it's just like one of those historical like we can look back now and be like you shouldn't have treated any you know but the truth was when you had to deal with horses all day every day like you probably didn't care as much because it was just like you know yeah. you probably cared about as much as we care about cows right right like how much do you care about a cow like when you eat hamburgers if you eat chicken like you don't care that much yeah. um i don't know well um 
bomb drop. I hated that P.T. Barnum movie because I happen to know a lot about P.T. Barnum because he uh, was friends with Mark Twain. And mm-hmm. I'm going to dig up something we can read about P.T. Barnum because he was an absolutely fascinating person. Yeah. Any of our listeners are thinking that Hugh Jackman's dazzling singing and dancing <laughs> have anything to do with anything. Who he really was. <laughs> Um, I mean, he's like the ultimate, like in a lot of ways, he's like the ultimate American huckster, right? right? Like he did it. That's like, right. He, he invented he convinced, American yeah. marketing. Yeah. Which is then yeah. like, that's why Disney became Walt Disney. Right. It's like they, they're they of a piece. It's, he's and it's, he's a, yeah, a grifter showman. Yeah. So for somebody to make him into a heroic, yeah, it's insane. That movie is, <laughs> when I was watching it, I was like, I'm in another parallel universe where people... Yeah think this is good but, but that and that's pretty much the snobbiest i've ever been but see in. this is this is so i'm gonna find something this is the very issue that we talked we've talked about before like as it relates to books or movies like the help where mm-hmm. you know some sort of something happens that in if it had actually happened in that era those people would have been lynched you know <laughs> right um right. where this this sort of whitewashing of civil rights history or of grifters and con men and all these things or even like movies like Inglorious Bastards, you know, where it's like, no, the Jews did not kill Hitler. <laughs> yeah, well, there you get into Tarantino's weird wish fulfillment yeah, that is fantasy. Weird. Like, I, his whole thing is just like, I don't, yeah, it's a whole thing. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's cool. I just can't believe he's done it now three or four times. Yeah, like, quite a few times. Because even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the same thing. It's like this bizarre revenge fantasy backward wish fulfillment it, it's kind of cool uh, I, in some i mean I you know, some people the once upon a time it. in hollywood paperback i've heard it's incredible novelization. i've heard it's incredible is it good um here's what i can tell you i'm a better novelist than quentin tarantino <laughs> well you've been doing it for a while yeah, <laughs> yeah this is his first novel right he yeah. never wrote prose it, outside of it. it it's like two times in my life i felt superior to someone who i know is obviously more talented than me when I read Bruce Springsteen's memoir, which I quite enjoyed, I was like, well, that's good. But I'm, in fact, a better right, nonfiction better. writer than Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and reading Quentin Tarantino's novel, I'm like, I am, in fact, a better novelist than Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. I'm just a workhorse in American letters, Julia. Oh, see? <laughs> Boom! Tied it up. Well... Yeah, and your professional podcast with almost 200 episodes. So, listeners, stay tuned. We're going to come off. Yeah, that. listeners. Yeah, what should we do? Our 200th episode <laughs> is going to be hot. Uh, I've already fielded some emails from listeners about things we should be doing. If you have a great idea for what we should do for Please our let us know. Yeah, yeah let, I really don't have any ideas. Let, yeah, let us know. And that doesn't mean, oh, I'd like to be on the show. That's not an idea for... Unless you're someone famous, that is not. I an wonder idea. if we should. I wonder if we just should do something like just listen to our first episode together oh, and God, <laughs> discuss I, it, like do commentary on our first episode. No, or my second, mic no. was so bad. Yeah, it's hard to listen to. It's hard. Basically, the first fifty episodes, yeah. your mic was bad. How dare you? <laughs> but, but yes, my mic was very bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so listeners, if you have an idea for a 200th episode that does not involve you being on our show, please do let us know. <laughs> we'd be happy to hear it literary disco is produced and edited by justin alvarez for lit hub radio you can reach out to us directly on twitter at literary disco happy reading everybody thanks for listening